Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. I love doing that offering time with the kids. I got some artwork up here from one of our kids today. Doesn't that look great? So y'all are supposed to say yes. This looks great. Yeah, yeah. Y'all can sit down. We're, we're good. And also one of, the, one of the kids that came up goes, I grabbed all the dollars out of my mom's wallet. And, he said, and I said, well, next time bring her credit card up here and we'll swipe that. Yeah. I love spending time with the kids up here. Uh, during our time. So let me make you aware of um, some things that are going on. hope you pick up an announcement sheet this morning. And um, if you're watching online uh, through the app, you can also access this announcement sheet. Really, I want you to pay attention to this first one. Next Sunday at noon, we're going to have a launch. It's an open invitation launch for those who are interested in foster and adopting ministries here in our church. So if you're a foster parent, you're interested in foster care, you've adopted, or you're passionate about that and you want to serve others. We are in the formative stages of this ministry right now, and we just don't want to make it up and say, well, we ought to do this. Really want to get a group of interested parties together and say, what does this ministry need to look like in our church? And so we're building this from the ground up, and we invite you to be a part of that. You see all the information. Also, let's celebrate uh, Trav's Coats for Kids finished up this last week. All together, we distributed... 6,045 coats to our Tulsa area. Can we celebrate the, the opportunity that we've had to be generous? And, and by the way, we still have coats, and we're going to distribute them all winter through our Caring Center ministry. And so if somebody needs a coat, you send them to either our Caring Center downtown or out south. And then finally, I want to make sure we pick up a 4 by 4 card Uh, These are four people you're praying for for the next four months who may not know Christ. (laughs) Write those names down, pray for them every day, and see what opportunities the Lord opens up to you. Okay, so I've given us a challenge that for the 31 days of January at the beginning of this year that we're going to read the message on the Mount every single day. Read Matthew 5, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 7. Just as a little bit of inspiration, I want to share a picture of my friend Bill Meyer My name is Bill Meyer. I'm 91 years old. I just read through the entire Bible for the first time in 2023. Isn't that fantastic? That really is good. And I'll tell Bill you gave him a smattering of applause this morning. That will really encourage him a whole lot. Just an image like this. And he's not one to pat himself on the back through his family that encouraged him to do this. He got motivated. It's never too late to do the right thing. And it's never too early to start doing the right thing. And so part of our reading the Scripture this month, every single day, is part of it is to get into the habit daily of reading the Scripture because every time you open the Bible, it's like a prayer in and of itself. You're saying, I don't have the kind of knowledge I need to make it through life on my own. I need more, okay? And so we, we look to the words and teachings of the one that we call our Lord. So at the introduction of the message on the Mount, it says, when Jesus saw the crowds, says something about his magnetism and his popularity. He called his disciples to him. So whatever else the message on the mount is, Jesus is saying, this is what it means to be my followers. 
So he called his disciples and he began to teach them. And, and that word there is a continual action that basically every time Jesus opened his mouth, he said this stuff over and over and over again, so much so that a few decades later, Matthew could quote this cold. He could quote it verbatim. He heard it over and over again. So part of January is that experiment of putting the teachings of Jesus in your mind and heart every single day until it becomes a part of you. And I've had several people already say, every day something else is popping out. It, it, it so easily applies to where I live every single day. Something is coming to mind. But here's the one word we didn't talk about last week. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up onto a mountainside. That's a strategic word. And here's why. If you go back to the history of Israel, they were in Egypt in slavery. Then God brought them out through the Red Sea, through the waters. Then he took them into the desert on their way to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. So you have Egypt, sea, desert, mountain. If you replay the early chapters of Matthew, Jesus goes to Egypt as a young boy to escape the wrath of Herod. He then crosses through the waters of baptism. He then is led out into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And here in Matthew chapter 5, he goes up onto a mountainside. That whole history of Israel is replayed through the early life of Jesus. And so when Jesus comes onto the mountainside, we get the message here. He's the new Moses. He is the one who is, is leading us from slavery to freedom and giving us these commands. But then you read Jesus a little bit closer and you realize that he's not in the place of Moses. He's God. He's not Moses receiving the law. He's God giving a new law. This is the voice of the Lord that we're listening to. And so just as Mount Sinai, the hallmark of that was Ten Commandments, so Jesus begins the message on the mount with eight Beatitudes, the blessed are. Now, blessed, that word just doesn't mean I feel good. That word means... And, and I'm going to talk about the Beatitudes this morning as being the commandments of character. If you want to have a character that has the approval of God, here is what that character looks like, okay? So, first of all, let me take that phrase, commands of character. Commands, if you remember the Ten Commandments in the Older Testament, sure hope you do. Please tell me you do, Okay. Yeah, it's, it's tough to speak to a mostly empty worship center. Y'all work with me here this morning. Give me something, uh, just, just a little bit every now and then. Be great. So those commands are mostly negative. Do not commit adultery. Do not lie. Do not murder. Here's the idea. Prohibition always creates temptation. As soon as you're told what you ought not to do, you kind of want to do it. So here's, <laughs> yeah, and that's the down. I mean, you want to be clear, but, but also it, it creates some, some temptation there. Here's a great example of this. During the prohibition eras in the United States, selling alcohol was illegal. So all the wineries in Italy that imported their wine, it was tough for them to sell to the United States because alcohol was prohibited. So what they started creating was grape, excuse me, wine bricks. It was concentrated grape juice that they would sell and you dilute it in water and you have grape juice uh, but it was illegal to turn it into alcohol so what they did and they were having trouble with sales what they did is they gave instructions they said do not do this so it won't become alcohol 
they, they did. They put instructions. They, it, the instructions went something like this. Do not dilute and water and keep in a cool, dry place for 21 days or else this will become alcohol. <laughs> wink, wink, nod, nod, okay? By telling them what not to do, they ensured they were going to do it, right? It was a way of kind of working around the law. That, that's it. Prohibition creates temptation. Well, what Jesus does here is he's not, notice the Beatitudes, he's not telling us what not to be. He's saying, here's your potential. Here's what I want you to aspire to. It's not, this is not the things to avoid. This is, this is where to go. And so these are commands of character. And here's probably the most important thing I'm going to say this morning. Character is not a result of hope. Character is a result of habits. We build our character by habits, not by hope, to put it another way. Well, I hope I become a person of integrity. Well, you're not going to hope yourself into integrity. You have to create the habits that will make you into a person of integrity, okay? Um, a couple of examples here. I don't believe in dieting. I think don't do anything eating-wise that you're not willing to do for the rest of your life, okay? And so a couple of years ago, I just decided, I was drinking a lot of sodas. I just said, you know, from now on, one Coke a day is enough. And it's not about a quick fix. It's about creating habits that will make you healthy over the long term. So now here's the same thing. I'm going to talk about mental health. Um, I don't know if any of you have this trouble. When I'm getting ready in the morning is my worst time mentally. I start thinking about all the problems I'm about to encounter in the day. I start thinking about all those troubled people I have to deal with. Mostly they're on this side of the room over here. You know, not you nice people over here. They're over here, these mean people. And so I start thinking, well, I can't wait to run into so-and-so because I'm going to tell them this, 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 and this. And I started the day in a negative attitude. So I said, that habit needs to change. So I made a little deal with God. I'm not trying to sound overly spiritual. God, whoever comes to mind during that time, I'm just going to pray for him. I'm just going to hold him in the light and ask for your best because if Satan is doing what I think he's doing, he's trying to make me negative toward people and negative toward the day. If I can take that and twist that around and create a new habit, then it changes the way I enter the day. It also begins to affect my character. Character is not a result of what you hope to be. Character is a result of habits. And so Jesus, in laying out these Beatitudes, he says, here's the kind of habits that you need to develop every single day. We don't have time to handle all eight of them. So I'm going to do the hopscotch method. I'm just going to kind of skip over and kind of do an every other one on this, leaving the other four to you for you to experiment with, okay? How would you rephrase these to say, here's a habit I can develop that will help me develop a character more like Christ. So here's the first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here's how I would rephrase this for, for a personal habit. Blessed are those who need God as though they have nothing else. Blessed are those who need God as though they have nothing else. Now, go back to what Jesus says here. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The word he uses there for poor is the Greek word patokos, which means so poor you are forced to take on a life of begging. You have no other resort but just to beg for a living. It's either that or starve. Jesus says, if you really want God to be your king, that's how much you need to need God. But here's the problem. 
we live in a very affluent society. And we live in a society with a very thin veneer of self-sufficiency. That it looks like that we don't need anybody else, we got it covered. Hey, I, I don't need God to provide, I've got a job to do that. Well, lose your job and you're gonna discover that you need God a little bit more than what you thought you did. Hey, I'm healthy, I don't need other people to, to look after me in life. Well, lose your health and where you can't get yourself back and forth to the doctor, I've been there, you're gonna discover how much you need God's people around you. I don't think you realize how much you need God until all of those self-sufficient these things are, are pulled away and sometimes they can be pulled away in a moment. Blessed are those who live like that all the time, who need God like they have nothing else. Even when we think we do, we don't. So James Pollard Espy is the founder of modern uh, meteorology. I think it's important that we talk about meteorology today with a big storm. So James Pollard Espy is one of the founding fathers of meteorology. But by the time he was 17, he couldn't read. He hadn't had any education at all. And this is the 1800s. He goes to hear Henry Clay, who's a fantastic politician, fantastic orator. He goes to hear Henry Clay speak, and he's just blown away. He had never heard anybody speak this way before. And so at the end, he wanted to go up and meet Henry Clay, but he was embarrassed. And so a friend of his intervened and said, Mr. Clay, this is my friend James. He really wants to become like you, but he doesn't know how to read. And Henry Clay from the platform turned to a sign, had his picture on it, and his name Clay, C-L-A-Y, and he pointed his finger at the A. And he goes, Jimmy, see that letter right there? That's an A. Now you only have 25 more letters to go. You begin with that single step. By the way, James Pollard Espy, he started with the letter A. A year later, he was enrolled in college. And what have you done lately? <laughs> I mean, talk about making up for lost time. But that one letter was foundational. Start with the letter A and then build on that. Listen to me. All the other character qualities that are about to follow, build from this one. This first one is an essential piece. It's kind of like what Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You're not going to have wisdom unless you start with a great respect for God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. If you want the kingdom, if you want the character that comes with following Christ, you got to start here. You got to need the Lord as though you have nothing else. And this beatitude puts us in touch with that reality. So now let's hopscotch to the next one. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now the word meek is used in ancient literature. In fact, the first person to use it was Alexander the Great. Before he conquered the whole known world, by the time he was 33, he conquered his horse, Bocephalus, a horse no one else could break. He broke Bocephalus and he would use him as a battle horse for the rest of his life. But after Bocephalus was broken, he called Bocephalus meek. In other words, his energy wasn't chaotic. His energy was harnessed. His energy was channeled in a proper direction. So here's how I would take this beatitude and turn it into a character statement. Blessed are those who spend their energy not complaining but contributing. Blessed are those who spend their life not complaining, but contributing. 
So I put together a little list this week. You might be a complainer if. Thought about throwing a redneck joke in right here, but eh, it's a tough crowd already on a Sunday morning. Okay. So you might be a complainer if. If you say this more than two or three times a day, well, I'm just being realistic. If you say that a lot of times during the day, you might be a complainer. You might be a complainer if you focus only on the obstacles of your life. And in fact, your obstacles become your excuses for not taking action. You might be a complainer if you spend time with a lot of other complainers. Look around at your friends. Look at the people you spend time with on social media. If they're a bunch of complainers, you might be too. You might be a complainer if you notice that other people start avoiding you. Or when you talk to them, it's a one-sided conversation. If you're talking and a person's going, uh-huh, 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 what they're saying is, please stop, please stop, please stop, please stop, please go away. If a t- conversation's one-sided, you might be a complainer. And then here's to cap the list. You might be a complainer if you think none of these things apply to you. One list I pulled up said this. He said, uh, you might be a complainer if the last compliment you gave happened when Fred Flintstone was the mayor of Bedrock. In other words, a long, long time ago was the last time you gave a compliment. Jesus says, listen. You can spend all your energy complaining, but blessed are the meek. Blessed are those whose strength is channeled, and instead of complaining, you contribute. Now, I might about to be to get in trouble with what I say. I'm very disturbed with what's happening in the Middle East. And I am pro-Israel. I'm not anti-Israel. But I'm also anti-violence. And what I'm seeing, I think some of the humanitarian crises that are happening right now in the Middle East are inexcusable. And so I don't care what side you're on, to kill innocent women and children is just, is wrong, okay? So I was complaining about this to somebody not too long ago, and they said, you know what, instead of you complaining about that, what you need to do is start contributing. And they told me about Doctors Without Borders. They're already at work, and they have been at work for years in Gaza. And so instead of you complaining about that, why don't you close your mouth and why don't you actually contribute something? Now, if you disagree with what I just said, that's fine. Don't complain to me this week. You do something, contribute. It's kind of a challenge I'm giving you. Find a way to contribute and not just complain. Blessed are the meek, for the whole world opens up to them. Let's do another hopscotch. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. As a character statement, as a habit, I might rephrase this one like this. Blessed are those who are forgiving and who are forgivable. Blessed are those who find it easy to forgive, and also blessed are those who make it easy for others to forgive them. So, worst mistake I made last year as a husband uh, my wife loves to work puzzles, thousand-piece puzzles. Okay, just real quick. How many of you are puzzle lovers? You love doing puzzles around your house. How many of you are like Jesus and don't like puzzles? Uh, let, me, let me see your hands there. Thank you, Troy. I see that hand up there. 
And so my wife does these thousand piece puzzles and, and I'm, a, I'm a neat freak, I admit that. And so she has it out on the table for months and I'm like, I just wish that it weren't here on the table. So she was great. She got a big piece of foam board, put the puzzle on it, works on it. When she's done, she slips it under the couch in the living room, which is wonderful until I ran our robotic vacuum cleaner without thinking about it, okay? And so I start the robot. About halfway through, I go, oh, and I, I run in just the time. Her, her name's Alice. Alice is running over the puzzle and chewing up the pieces. Paula, I'm so sorry, and I helped her kind of put it back together, which is a nice way of saying I just put it back on the table for her. <laughs> so I'm so sorry it won't happen again. And we learned just put some pillows around the couch. Well, guess what? It happened again. Uh, it was a Wednesday morning. She'd already gone to work. I was working a little late out of the house, and I thought, well, I'm going to be a good husband. I'll run the, the vacuum. Really hard to do that, to push play on the, on the vacuum. And I realized it again, and I go in just as Alice is trundling over the puzzle yet again. And so I start thinking strategically. I mean, I, I, seriously, I'm in a cold sweat thinking, I can't believe I did this again. So I texted my wife, hey, I'm taking you out for dinner tonight. Where do you want to go? Anywhere. She said, Charleston's great. I'm taking you out for dinner. She texted back, don't know what I did to deserve this, but thank you. Said, well, you're about to find out what, what, what I did for you to deserve this. And then I went by Starbucks and I picked her up. It was before Christmas, so I picked her up a Christmas coffee mug from Starbucks, a real pretty mug. I went and got her some chocolates and I came to her workplace and with coffee mugs and chocolate in place. She goes, well, this is great. And I said, just looked at her and go, I'm so sorry. What? I said, Alice. She said, No. But by then, I'd made it easy to, for her to forgive me. <laughs> See what I did there? I got ahead of the issue. And I mean, just look at this face. Aren't I just easy to forgive anyway? Yeah. But I, did somebody hiss up here? That, no, you were hissing, buddy. No, no. <laughs> Sometimes a laugh sounds like a hiss. I forgive you. That's because that's what we're talking about right now. But, but I'd made it easy for her to forgive me. Now, was it manipulation? Set that aside. Let's not even think about that right now. But, but think about this, and you're really going to have to think here in the next couple of seconds. If you realize how hard it is to make it easy for others to forgive you, then it will be easier for you to forgive those who are hard to forgive. Can I say that again? When you remember how hard it is for you to make yourself easy to forgive, maybe it'll make it a little easier to forgive those who are hard to forgive. Jesus said, be, be merciful. As you want mercy, also give mercy away. And some people are just gonna be difficult to forgive, but you know how hard it is for you to be forgiven sometimes. By the way, another way of stating this beatitude might be to say like this, don't be offended in the first place. We, we are taught to wear our emotions on our sleeve. Nobody is telling you you have to live that way. And remember, most of the time when people say something about you or do something you feel like is against you, they're not thinking about you at all. We just do that because we're human. If you're going to have history with people, like you do in a church, if you have history with people, you're going to hurt one another. To expect anything else from a group of people is just not going to happen. What makes a difference between a church and any other place on the planet is not that we don't hurt one another, it's that we forgive one another.
And that's got to be a habit. That's got to be a character habit. One more. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who in the worst of times decide to become the best of people. Blessed are those in the worst of times we decide to become the best of people. I was talking to a friend this week uh, who's distressed about the election landscape as it looms out over us and he articulated what I think many of us feel is, you know, I see people running for office and I don't like the character I see in anybody and so who do I vote for? I don't have an answer for that question. But I actually use that as a motivating factor for myself. When I look out and I see a lack of character in our world, that motivates me to say, I can't control anybody out here. The only person I can really control beyond the people I influence, and I want to be a positive influence, we'll talk about that next week, but the only person I can really control is me. And so, in the worst of times, to decide to become the best kind of person, and here's the deal, I'm going to try, I'm going to fail. I'm going to slip and fall, God will forgive. And I'm not doing this on my own power. We're not doing this on our own power. Remember, we have God's Holy Spirit living within us who wants more than anything else to bring the character of Christ out in, of us. What's, what's in here should reflect and glorify God. God's on your side to become like Christ. So one of the best books I've ever read is uh, The Boys in the Boat. It's about the University of Washington rowing team, crew. Uh, they just made it into a movie. Haven't seen the movie yet, so don't spoil it for me. I'm sure it's good. But here's some statistics. This is a 1936 University of Washington rowing team that started out just as a scrappy group of local kids, and they went all the way to the 1936 Berlin Olympics and beat the Nazi team right under Hitler's nose. That's what makes this so good. So here's some statistics. In their four years as a crew, they rowed 4,344 miles. They could have rowed from Seattle to Japan. That's four years of practicing. Altogether, they stroked nearly a half a million times, 500,000 strokes. Now, all that together, 4,300 miles of distance, a half a million strokes, total race time in their four-year career, excuse me, total race distance, 28 miles. They practiced all of that for 28 miles. But you know what they were doing? With every day they got in the boat, and every time they took a stroke, they were developing a habit. They were honing that skill to a fine-tipped point so that when it mattered most on race day, when the Nazis were ahead by half a boat length, they would leverage those habits to lead them to victory. Listen, character is not a result of hope. Character is a result of habits. And I want to charge you as you read this every day, as you start with these Beatitudes, let them get in your heart, let them get in your mind. 
don't just take my rewardings. You, you look at these for yourself and to say, whatever Jesus says is the kind of life that God approves of, that's the very habit I need to develop every day because there's going to become a moment where it matters most. Let's stand together and let's pray with one another. So, Jesus, I ask that you would um, bless this endeavor as individuals, as in a church, as we read the message on the mount over and over and over again. In a way, we get to have that experience that Matthew and the other disciples had just to, to marinate in your teaching and to see each day what you're going to bring out. But, but it really does start with character. And so I pray this week as we read through the Beatitudes again and again, that we would see the kind of life that bears the approval of God. And whatever we see out there in the world that is opposite, we know that that is not what you want. And would you help us to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit, to know what habits we need to put in place to live this kind of life. Help us to put aside hoping that we'll become the right kind of person. And help us develop the habits of becoming the right kind of person that we would continue to become until we completely become like Jesus Christ. And God, thank you for your forgiveness when we fail. And thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that will keep propelling us forward. Jesus, thank you for being our Moses that brings us to freedom. But thank you for being the voice of God that points us to reality. It's in your name that we offer our prayer and this short time of responsive worship. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, and may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.